Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. And I have to open up with a very fun and exciting announcement. The Retro Roundtable is getting back together for one reunion episode as part of this weekend's Long Island Retro Gaming Festival's Uplink Fest. It's their online version of the expo because the in-person one was supposed to be this weekend, but with everything shut down, that's obviously not happening. And I really wanted to help out because the team, especially Ryan, has always been really awesome to work with. So when I was asked to be a part of it, I said, sure, I'll do a panel and hey, maybe I could talk the guys into getting back together for one more. And we were able to pull it off. So, I mean, hopefully. (laughs) So if anybody's interested, it's going to be this Sunday at 1215. I'm also doing a panel on Saturday and I wanted to do something really out of the box and kind of out of my comfort zone a little bit too, just to try to make it unique for this. Um, And I'm doing a panel on tips for content creators that want to work with retro gaming stuff. And that's not something I would probably do in person because out of a giant crowd of people, how many of those might actually be content creators, at least locally? Whereas this is something online and probably going to attract more people, so or at least a wider variety possibly. So I tried to do something a little bit strange and different, and uh, I'm going to just be going through some of the stuff I've learned over the years, mostly learning as a result of trying and failing a million times before I got it right. But I'm also going to be sharing some of the info some of the other pretty awesome people in the scene have taught me. So um, if you're going to be a part of this expo, please grab a ticket and check us both out. I'm really looking forward to one more Retro Roundtable episode on Sunday, and uh, hopefully we'll all be silly and laugh at each other like we always do and have a good time. So uh, I'll leave links in everywhere you could find this podcast to where to get to that. But for now, let's jump in the news. First up, Retrobit is now selling just the receiver dongle only exclusively at Castlemania Games for their Saturn and Genesis 2.4 gigahertz controllers. So this is the perfect thing for somebody whose favorite controller is the Saturn controller and wants to use it on both a Saturn and a Sega Genesis console. Um, Or I guess if you're just on a budget, you want to grab one controller and a whole bunch of dongles to sync them with. So uh, either way, if if you're looking for one of these, you already know who you are. The price is $13 plus shipping, um, and they're both available and in stock right now. Um, I've had pretty good luck with mine. Uh, I use wireless controllers in testing all the time because I just don't, you know, when I have a a very small desk with a pile of consoles on it trying to capture and do everything, having more uh, like controller cables around just drives me nuts. So I've been using their Saturn one on Mr. and of course on the Saturn for a while. I do have to press the sync button every time that I try to use it. Some people say that happens to them. Some people say it doesn't, but once it's synced, I like it very much. Um, It does have lag just because all wireless controllers are going to. uh, But, you know, depending on the type of game that you're playing, it's certainly not a lot. So I'll leave that part of it up to you. For me, I just... I don't know, maybe I'm just weird and stubborn, but when I'm sitting down to actually like, all right, I cleared my schedule, I'm going to sit down and play for at least an hour, I always want to use original controllers, but any other time I'm always using wireless, but that's just preference, so that's just my own silliness, do do it however you would like to do it, and now if you need extra receivers for those controllers, now you have a choice too. Pre-orders are now open for the Xbox to Wii Component Pro Adapter from Consoles for You, and this is an adapter that allows you to use Wii Component video cables on the original Xbox, and the difference between the original adapter and this Pro Edition is it breaks out the optical audio SPDIF connector on it, which is really awesome if you game through a stereo as well. Um, now, I think these things are really great because there's nobody selling brand new 
Microsoft Xbox component cables out there anymore that are really high quality, at least none that I've found before. You could find them used online that are still pretty good, but I think most people would just want to pick up a inexpensive new solution. And you could get HD Retrovision brand new Wii cables right now, right from Castlemania or Amazon. So I believe they're in stock in both, and if not, they will be back within a few probably days or something. So it makes sense for people to just want to buy something brand new and use it. Um, and the price on this one is $37 plus shipping, um, whereas the uh, original is $27. So, you know, if you don't game on a stereo, you don't need the optical audio adapter, you could probably just pick up the original one. I have one sitting here, and I still haven't had time to test it. I, I will very soon. Uh, unrelated, I'm going to be using this in an upcoming video that tests something else. So hopefully you'll see that in a week or two. But um this is another one of those products where if you were waiting on this, you are probably already know who you are or if this is a product that really fits your setup. So check out the links um, and hopefully someday we'll just get a straight up HD Retrovision original Xbox component cable. Fingers crossed and we want the Dreamcast cable first. So <laughs> Kevin Mellett has just sent out some updates regarding the HyperFlash 32 project, which is the Virtual Boy ROM cart that is controlled by an e-ink screen where you could load ROMs uh, on the ROM card itself. And then after it's flashed, you plug it into your Virtual Boy and it works as a normal Virtual Boy game. Uh, a couple of updates. It's mostly on schedule with some slight delays, but it's still due to ship before the end of this year. All of the hardware functions have been completely verified, which is awesome. Flashing of the games themselves, which just as a reminder, you have to be plugged into USB power to flash it, but you do not need a PC. Just have the ROMs on a micro SD card and have it plugged into any USB power and you should be good to go. Uh, the flashing time for the largest files are 90 seconds, but that's rare. Most of the Virtual Boy ROMs are going to be much smaller than that, so it should actually flash fairly quickly. Um, also, there's going to be a complete in-box option available at an extra charge created by Mumphy, which is cool. I know a lot of collectors would really love that. Uh, also, Mumphy created digital artwork for each retail game, which is incredible, because that means after you load the game, the uh, e-ink the e screen shows the box art, or the, a game art at least, so you could just look at it and know what game it is. Which, by the way, I'd love to see that option for other ROM cards. I know that's not for everybody, but I know there's a large handful of people that would probably spend a premium on that just for the aesthetic value of it. Uh, and also, there's going to be a haptics unit added to the cart. So every time you press a button, you'll feel that slight vibration, which is awesome because that with those e-ink screens can take a little while to refresh. Um, and it, it'll feel like forever if you're used to a modern cell phone. So having some kind of vibration when you press the button just to let you know that, yes, it's pressed, count to one, and then it'll go. I think that's pretty awesome. Also, Thunderstruck has created a Windows GUI with a developer mode, uh, which will never be required to play games. This is only something added for people that want to do development stuff on it, um, or pretty much, you know, if you just somehow prefer using a GUI. But I wanted to make that point because uh, as much as I really like the Flash Boy, having to deal with plugging it into my computer every time I want to flash something was a pain in the butt. So anyway, it's a, a project that I'm very much looking forward to get my hands on and testing. Uh, obviously, I'm a fan of the Virtual Boy, and uh, it's going to be really cool to check this thing out. 
There's been some more updates to the Sindin light gun project, um, and that is a light gun that works with emulators by creating a border around the gameplay window, and the camera inside the gun tracks that to know where it is that you're shooting. So essentially, you could turn any monitor, so CRT, flat panel of any kind, into compatible compatible with a light gun by using this. Um, it's also compatible with emulation, and they claim PlayStation 2, but I'm still not quite sure how that's happening. Uh, but the updates are that they're still available, and the target ship date for public release is October or November of this year. Of course, subject to change, but um, it looks like a lot of the stuff has already been delivered, and they're pr uh, preparing production of it right now. So um, it's pretty far along in the process of something like this. Um, the, they're selling them in single and double packs with not really much of a uh, much of a savings if you get a double. But your choice is a light gun without recoil for one hundred and three dollars, and a light gun kit with recoil for one hundred and sixty seven, and then pretty much double it if you want a two pack or something like that. So uh, I'm pretty interested to see what we could do with this. There's been speculation, and I don't think it's gone past speculation yet. So please don't don't take this one to heart, but. Uh, it's been speculated that the OSSC might be able to create the type of border that the light gun uses for games, which means that it's possible that you would be able to use this with some controller adapters on original consoles, all on flat panels. So you'd be able to play, you know, all of the original, you know, NES, Master System, Genesis, Super Nintendo games through this. That would definitely require some kind of controller adapter, uh, especially, too, because there's also the Konami guns and, like, the Super Scope for the Super Nintendo, just as an example. So, you know, I would not at all expect that on launch date. I would expect that to be something that they work on afterwards. I did want to mention it, though, because I thought even the possibility of that would be pretty exciting. Um, also, Arcade 1UP looks like they're going to be working with them to integrate that technology on the upcoming Big Buck Hunter arcade cabinet. And that's the perfect use, because if you have a manufacturer controlling everything, the emulation, the hardware, and all that stuff, this would be a really cool thing to integrate that would probably be a really great um, addition to that. So uh, anybody interested in the project, definitely check out the link as well as the launch video. And hopefully I'll get one in to test uh, probably when it's released. Displaced Gamers just released a video about bugs and cartridge differences. And this is kind of a multi-subject video that all kind of centers around what happened back in the day when manufacturers would make cartridges with the ROMs of the games on them, but then realized there was a bug that needed to be fixed. Nowadays, you just push it out digitally, but uh, back way back when for things like Zelda had some parts of the or some games released that had certain warning signs when you go to save the game and you know others didn't and even games that had certain bugs like the one in the PC Engine Ninja Spirit uh, some pretty serious bugs where you get some feedback in the audio at the pause screen and stuff like that so they went through and kind of uh, took care or kind of explained everything and put things into into context so I wouldn't call it a, a typical displaced gamers video, but it's certainly one that uh, you might either watch with nostalgia if you had cartridges with errors on them, or if you're a bit younger and didn't grow up in that era, it might be kind of neat to see it. Also, this video came out like two weeks ago, and I had it queued up to post and then forgot about it, and somehow the scheduling failed. I'm not really sure how that works, but my apologies to Chris. I actually wanted to talk about this like two podcasts ago, but hey, at least it's up now, and if you're interested in this, please check it out. 
I know this isn't quite retro, but the new Battletoads game will be released on August 20th on the Xbox One, Windows 10, Xbox Game Pass, and Steam. I actually couldn't find a price for it anywhere, so maybe I looked in the wrong spot, or maybe they haven't published it yet, or what the deal is, but uh, I just wanted to put that out there because... I did like the Battletoads games. I know some people like to refer to it as like a Ninja Turtles ripoff, but I don't know. I I don't even if it was, even if that was the developer's intention, it didn't mean my experience playing it was any less fun because I do remember playing it and really enjoying the hell out of it. It was real hard and I certainly never beat it, but uh it was always fun to play and it looks like the new one's trying to capture the spirit of the original. So it is partly a beat 'em up game, but it's also got a couple of different things like uh you know, some of the uh, the wave race jumping. I don't know how you'd, you'd call it, but I remember it kind of reminded me of being like on a jet ski type of thing. But uh, they included all of that in it. The humor certainly there. The trailer absolutely made me laugh out loud a couple times. So I definitely wanted to share it in case anybody's uh, in case anybody's into the Battletoad series. I'm really interested to see if it holds up to the originals or hopefully be better because hopefully it won't be so insanely hard. And hopefully you won't be able to knock each other off ropes when going down. I never really understood that. But <laughs> anyway, check it out. A fan hack of Ocarina of Time was just released called Zelda The Missing Link. And people are giving it really good feedback. I guess storyline, it sits between Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. But it's not just a, a basic fan hack. There's totally different and new areas. And people that are playing it say they feel like they are playing a short installment in the 3D Zelda 64 series. Uh, it is on the shorter side, so I think people are saying it's taking about four or five hours to complete, as opposed to 20 to 30 for the original, depending on if you're somebody that likes exploring. I haven't really had a chance to play it yet, but uh, something that's that short is something I would really be interested in because I don't have time for a, a really deep game these days. But, you know, in deep, like, sink amount of time into it. But uh, overall, it just looks really neat. There's a couple of different weapons you could use. There's some upgrades in there. So uh, also the trailer is played on emulation where it's kind of rendered. Uh, a lot of the stuff is rendered in HD and it looks gorgeous. So not only is this a pretty cool fan hack that will work on original hardware, through a ROM card, of course, and it will work on the Wii's virtual console, but it also will work through emulation and look pretty stunning. So this is the perfect excuse for anybody who's wanted to try N64 emulation. Now you could try a new fan game, try to play it in almost HD, and really see what it's like. So if you're into Zelda fan hacks, especially the 3D style Zelda, it seems like something you should give a try. The creator of the SCA 101 SCART switch has just announced a brand new product called the RGB to YC, which is a device that converts RGB to both composite video and S video. And I think this is the perfect device for somebody with, let's say, a full RGB setup going into a GSCART switch and one of the outputs is going to an OSSC, but they also want to use a CRT. Now, you could, of course, try and hunt down an RGB monitor or try to RGB mod a consumer-grade TV, but many people don't want to mess with that. And I totally agree. Sometimes you just want to pick up uh, you know, a free or near-free consumer-grade CRT, and many can be found with composite video inputs. S-Video is a little rarer, and sometimes you get RF only, but still, the chances of somebody today spending a little time trying to find a composite video CRT are for nearly free or free is pretty good. And I think this is the perfect device to work with that. I'll be getting one into tests, and I'll certainly be testing things like, will it work with light gun games? What about 
about the Sega 3D games. You know, the stuff that that you would really want to use, uh, the stuff that you can't do with a flat panel TV. Um, Also, the device is kind of interesting in that it has four different inputs. So you could only use one at a time, but you could either plug in RGB SCART, JP21, basic RCA connectors, so broken out, red, green, blue, and sync, or a VGA-style D-sub port that would accept either RGB or RGBS or RGBHV. So that also means that as long as you're sending it a standard 240p or 480i signal, uh, 15 kilohertz, that you could even use things like, you know, the output of a, a mister maybe, or the output of a PC if you could have it downscale like that. So it's all very interesting. I guess technically, too, you could use the GBS control software to downscale something, output it VGA into this. So overall, it's um, it's really good to have all of these input choices. There's also switches between PAL and NTSC, which is cool that it's compatible with both. And a switch called RGB Adjust, which lowers the brightness. Now, of course, I'll test this on a scope when I get it in, but um, this should be perfectly safe to use because it's only for the scenarios in which you plug your console in and it seems too bright. So it should always be at normal voltage and you could drop it if you want to, but of course, I'll double check. Uh, Also, it has dual output, so you could either have, uh, you know, you could have two composite 2s video or or any kind of combination that's really the only feedback i have about it now is i would have thought that it would have been a much uh much more beneficial to have a second rgb output so that way you if you don't have a dual outputting switch you could just plug your console into this uh output composite or s video and then have a, a, a splitter function if you will as well so either d sub or uh, scart so maybe that'll be in a follow-up product or something that's really the only speculation i have about it now without trying it but you know it's weird to get excited about composite composite video but I, i've talked about it a lot in the past few months and there's absolutely a need for a device like this and i really think people should take advantage of getting crts for free or near free while we still can obviously if you have the space and you know the need for any of that but uh, i'll keep everybody updated and hopefully have a pretty detailed review coming up in the next few months I just reviewed the Mode, the optical drive emulator from Terra Onion that works with both the Dreamcast and the Saturn, and overall I thought it worked really well. It's just a matter of figuring out if it's the right choice for you. So compatibility is really high. It's compatible with every model of the Saturn and all but one Dreamcast, everything but the VA2, and it I think it's compatible with every single game, including two-disc games. Uh, There might still be some software compatibility bugs they're working out, but it's a fairly new product, and Terra Onion's always pretty solid about that stuff. So as far as hardware compatibility goes, it's an awesome choice. Software compatibility, I'd call it a great choice, probably going to be near perfect by the end of the year, you know, if it's not already. Um, You know, I couldn't test every single Saturn game out there, but it seemed to work fine. Uh, And also, as far as storage options goes, that's where it kind of gets interesting, Uh, because it's got micro SD, USB, and a hard drive. Uh, For USB, you could just use a USB extension cable or just a USB hard drive and kind of dangle it into the console, so that's a a perfectly good way to play it. For micro SD, you're definitely going to want to get the laser bear mount for it that breaks out the SD card. Um, And for actual SATA hard drives. That's where it got interesting. And that's really the only, uh, I don't want to say negative feedback, but that, that's certainly the only criticism I had of the product in that I think a lot of people might want to buy this 
to use a two and a half inch hard drive with it because you could get a two terabyte hard drive for $70 as opposed to a one terabyte micro SD for 300 or something. And they do drop in price, but it's still way more than double the cost of that. But the problem is what happens when you have that hard drive installed? If you need to add or remove games or if you need to do a firmware update, you have to take the top off. You have to uninstall the bracket if you have a bracket in. Um, either way, you have to remove the, the um, mode itself and unbolt the drive. It's very good that they have the holes for you to bolt it in so it doesn't flop around, but still. And that was really the only criticism that I had. And I, I really wish they kind of thought out of the box for it. Uh, for the design of this. I would have loved to see something like, you know, a a two-piece design where on the inside it's completely dumb that just breaks out the pins and the actual mode itself plugs in, you know, where the CD would normally go and that way you actually could use it between multiple consoles. Um, You know, there's some size restrictions and other reasons why why they probably decided not to do it. But another really awesome option would have been adding Wi-Fi and allowing people to add games, add or remove games that way. As uh, And the other thing that would have taken care of is firmware updates. Because the only other complaint, you know, it's I don't think it's anything you could really do anything about, but in order to get firmware updates, you have to create an account, then you have to register your device, and then you always have to log into your account to get firmware updates. Now, unlike certain other companies, you could... Uh, you could change that at any time. You know, you could just uh, deactivate it from your account and sell it online. If somebody buys a used one, they don't have to worry about it. So from that point of view, it's totally fine. But if it was a Wi-Fi firmware update, you'd never have to log in because the serial number is authenticated over over the air like that. So, you know, stuff like that is just kind of how I was approaching this. And a few people, when I mentioned that, a few people took that the wrong way, uh, but many more really added their own ideas to it that I thought were awesome. Things like, hey, if you want to use SATA, you could break out a SATA uh, expansion or extension cable. Um, if you're having problems with power, because that was something I heard that I don't know if it was just a few one-off cases, but people were saying when they tried 7,200 RPM drives in there that it drew too much power on certain model Saturns. So going to SSDs or uh, you know the 5,400 uh, 5, RPM drives like I linked to were safe. But I mean, you could you could just break out power yourself. You could even have a, a big three and a half inch drive sitting next to it if you want. Just grab something with an eSATA cable and then have that, you know, run that cable inside the console and power it externally. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, other people had suggested doing like a SATA to mSATA adapter and you could mount that inside the CD tray so that if you wanted to, you could add, remove games and firmware updates that way without updating the, or opening the console or having to get a 3d bracket or something so overall i just uh i really liked the thinking out of the box feedback from people and if a lot of storage uh and the other features of this is your goal then this might actually be the perfect device but once again you got to just watch the review and just kind of see for yourself if it's the best fit for you or if you were going to choose one of the other options out there so overall i liked it and uh you know it's something that if you're interested in odes you should definitely look into before I go, I just got to give a shout out to Metal Jesus. Uh, a while back, he contacted me asking my opinion on the Rad 2X cables. And I said, well, here's my opinion, but 
do you just want some footage that'll back up everything I'm saying with results and, you know, and tests? Uh, and he actually included that in his video. He didn't have to. I told him I didn't need any credit. I told him, you know, you could just use it if you need to. But uh, it was actually, I actually laughed out loud in the video when he said, you know, cables seem good. And I don't think there's any lag. I don't feel any lag. But here's Bob to prove that there isn't any. Like I thought, I thought that was awesome that somebody with such a respected opinion in the gaming scene, because tons of people look to him for recommendations on you know their favorite games, stuff they might be missing. His whole crew is awesome at that. You know, I'm always, I actually always really liked Reggie's you know weird import suggestions and stuff like that too. So to see that crew take the time to to get the extra nerd knowledge in there, knowing that it might even bore a few of their viewers, I thought that was really excellent and I was really happy to see that. And anybody ever needs anything, you know, I'm always happy to help. You know, Metal Jesus could have just screenshotted that section of my other video where I, I test it and show it. He didn't have to reach out, but he did and I thought that was really awesome. So anybody needs anything, the worst the worst answer I'll give you if I'm super busy is I'll just, if I already did it, I'll show you where and when in the video that you could screenshot. And I, I always thought that was a respectful way of showing other people's work. And I don't think, I don't, certainly you wouldn't need my permission for that. I don't know what the YouTube's made up copyright rules that they're always changing are on that. But having like a desktop screenshot of somebody else's video playing, showing their channel, showing, you know, showing who they are, I think is a very cool way to promote other people. So that's always a good way to do it. Um, and, you know, I would... Much rather, you don't have to ask anybody's permission for that, but I would certainly rather see that than people who just steal footage and call it their own, or worse, steal footage and get what I was saying wrong and try to use it in their video. I'm still shocked that people do that. You know, anyway, back to the happy stuff. So shout out to Metal Jesus. Thanks very much for contacting me and, and you know, taking the time to put nerd knowledge in there. I hope more people do it, and I'm always here to help if you need it. Well, that's it for this time. Hopefully, I'll see some of you this weekend at Uplink, virtually, of course. Uh, I'm really looking forward to doing both of those. I'm a little nervous about how my first panel is going to go. It's uh, not my normal wheelhouse of stuff, but uh, at the very least, hopefully, it'll be interesting. And if not, maybe I'll just fail miserably and it'll be funny to watch. I don't know. We'll, <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, also, I'm really looking forward to getting back together with the guys for one more shot for the Retro Roundtable. It's so hard to get any of our schedules to, to work, so uh, I just was really appreciative that everybody found the time to do this this weekend and hopefully we'll have some fun and laugh at each other like we normally do and as usual thank you all so much for watching and listening and especially thank you to everybody that supports on Floatplane and patreon because without your support none of these videos the podcast the website the research or any of this stuff would ever happen so thank you all so much and i'll see you next week 